You're listening to the ILS Podcast. Now here's your host, Richard Munoz. Hello and welcome to the ILS Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the International Law Section of the State Bar of Texas, where our mission is to provide you a short and topical podcast that makes international law relevant no matter what your area of practice or business. In January 2021, in an attempt to make it more difficult to operate anonymous shell companies for criminal or tax evasion purposes, Congress passed the Corporate Transparency Act. This law has federal reporting requirements for small businesses in the United States. And what does that mean for your business? Well, to help us answer this question is Mark Stashi and Gabriella Smith of the Klemchuk Law Firm. Mark has over 30 years of corporate securities, governance, regulatory, and transactional experience serving as a general counsel for publicly traded and divisions of publicly traded companies and a private equity firm. And Gabriella has been a guest before on this podcast and is an experienced business attorney who assists her clients with international contractual and regulatory matters. Mark and Gabriella, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you, you, Richard. All right. Well, let's level set for a second, Mark. Let me ask you a couple of preliminary questions before we get started. Um, I was reading through the article and I see some acronyms like FinCEN, F-I-N-C-E-N. What is that and what does it do? So FinCEN is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network of the United States Department of Treasury. And they're responsible for trying to eliminate things such as money laundering and control of sanctions. So for example, they're going to be involved in trying to stop the Russian oligarchs that uh, our current administration just as sanctioned as part of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And now the CTA, Gabriella, was passed, but are, are the regulations out there yet? Are they final? So you're correct, Richard. The CTA was passed, as you mentioned, and we have uh, regulations uh, that have been proposed. Um, there have been comments. Uh, the regulations are very thorough, but we are now waiting as of today. We're waiting for the enactment of the final regulations. We anticipate due to the topic that Finson regulates um, and the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine, we believe that that uh, fact will give a push to Finson to finalize and issue the final regulations. Well, let's jump into what the CTA says, Mark. Uh, So should I be concerned as a small business owner? So this uh, set of regulations is actually fairly broad and will impact all businesses, domestic and foreign, uh, that do business in the United States. Um, The it has a reporting requirement that companies report their beneficial owners. And we'll probably get into that later, but that's a fairly broad definition of who's going to be required to be reported by the companies. It applies to domestic companies that are formed by filing with a secretary of state or a a tribal entity. So think corporations, limited liability corporations, and also uh, other entities that may be formed, such as perhaps limited liability partnerships, et cetera. It also applies to foreign entities that uh, register to do business in the United States as well. Uh, So it's got a very, very broad impact in terms of who needs to start thinking about it. There are exemptions, however, to the reporting requirements. 
Wow, that's pretty broad. As, as I'm thinking, you, you use the word A-double-L, all businesses. There's a lot of them out there. Is there going to be a grandfather? Is it just for new businesses or for existing businesses? Okay, so one thing to clarify, partnerships that are not formed by the filing of a document would not be covered. Neither would sole proprietorships. So your, your, your corner restaurant that is just a sole proprietorship might not be covered. However, if they decided to take advantage of the limited liability protections of a corporate corporation or an LLC, they would be covered. Um, now, the, the, the fact is, it, there are exemptions to this, but you know, if you have a corporate entity, LLC, corporation, or have filed as a foreign entity, you now have to go through and figure out whether there's an exemption that applies to you or not. Let's talk about what are the reporting requirements in general that are being proposed? Okay, so you'd mentioned, was there a grandfather? And it's all entities, whenever and however formed that are still in existence, as of the time that the rules become effective, will need to decide whether they have to file. So if you're an entity that's been around five years and are continuing to exist, you are going to be required to file. Under the proposed rules, there will be a period of time that you will have to get into compliance. The more troubling aspect of it is that if you are a new entity form, you have a very short period of time under the proposed rules in which to comply with it. Under the proposed rules, it's two weeks. So within filing of an entity with Delaware and the creation of it, within two weeks, you have to file the requisite report with FinCEN, uh, you know, setting up who are the beneficial owners, and one other thing to understand is anyone who forms or asks a corporation or LLC to be formed will also need to be reported as part of the reporting paperwork. That's pretty broad. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, so all lawyers, all lawyers who are forming these need to understand that their entity and they may be listed as part of this application if they are the person that's forming the corporation or the LLC. Let me ask a question of you, Gabriella. I know that you do this a lot for your international clients. How does that impact attorneys who, when they're looking at this and having to form corporations for their clients? Good question, Richard. Now, post-CTA, if I'm an attorney assisting a client with the formation of this entity, I will have to ask a lot more questions. I will be probably one of the responsible parties whose name will appear in the report filed with FinCEN because I am a person that directed or assisted in the formation of this legal entity. Uh, let me just take a step back. Between the entity formation and the state, nothing changes probably. With regard to FinCEN, there's a lot more information I need to ask. I need to know who are the owners and what, what percentages, right? And then I need to report that if certain requirements are met. I will have to ask, the um, owners for the identification. I didn't have to ask that before, right? Because I can have a client referral. They came to me, they want to form an entity. Normally I don't say, hey, show me your passport. <laughs> Who are you? Now I have to. Um, I think as attorneys, you kind of have a legal duty to conduct a little bit of the diligence of who you're helping because your name is going to appear if you're forming an entity in a FinCEN report and you want to make sure you're not forming an entity for somebody involved with terrorism, money laundering, or any kind of uh, shady activity that you may have not been as focused on that in the past. A client comes to you and you don't have a reason to believe they might be involved in anything. 
But now because the government has that concern, I have that concern too. So the question is, who do you want to form companies for? And is that even a, an area of the law that you want to continue to be involved? Uh, because it is going to take more time, uh, both for your own due diligence as an attorney and for the due diligence that you need to conduct to, uh, for FinCEN. One other thing that you probably, as a, if you're forming these entities, need to understand is you have to get this information that Gabriella is talking about, such as a passport. And you have to take a copy of the picture itself on the passport. And with respect to people that are reporting, for example, if they're an individual, you have to give their residential address, et cetera. Now, you'll want to make sure that you're not obligated also to keep that information updated, because if that information changes, you have a relatively short period of time to update the report with FinCEN. This is not a once and done report. This is an ongoing obligation to keep this information current. So the, if it, although the formation may be a, a bit of a, a problem, the continuing obligation is even a bigger issue. Because think about it. If a, you, you're not only obligated to report your owners, but also managers. So for example, the CEO of the company will be someone you have to report under these rules. If the CEO decides to buy a new house and move, it needs to change the report with FinCEN. The company's going to have to do that. As a lawyer, you don't want to take on that obligation if you help form them because you have no way of knowing that it's changed and you don't want someone to come back to you and say, hey, you should have filed this because you, you, know, you, you filed the original paperwork. You're now responsible for all changes that might occur. One other thing to point out about the formation. So Gabriel has talked about being responsible for the formation. Going forward, you're going to have to bear that in mind. Recognize that every entity that you formed in the past that's still in existence, they're going to have to report if you formed it, that you formed it and get information from you in order to file the report with that information. Now, some of these you know, may go back 100 years or more. So there is some leeway around if you can't figure out who helped form it. But if you do know who formed it, you have to put that information in your report. I laugh about that because I work for a nonprofit that's 149 years old, and I doubt we're going to be able to find that lawyer who did it. So we'll probably have to figure <laughs> a workaround on that. Uh, Mark, let me let me take a step back real quick. You had mentioned a couple of times beneficial owners and responsible parties. Can you give us a quick definition of what that means under the CTA? So yes, so beneficial owners are who need to be reported. So let's put them in several classes. One is people who own 25% or more of the equity, or let's call it profits interest of an entity. So if you own more than 25%, you're going to be reported as an owner. Now it goes up the chain. So this is a new thing that most people may not be familiar with, which is, let's say that you have an entity that's 100%, that you have entity A that's 100% owned by entity B, and entity B is owned equally by four parties, each owning 25%. A needs to file a report. A will have to report that B's owners, the 25% owners, are all beneficial owners of A, even though they don't have a direct ownership interest. It goes up the chain, 
and that and the ag and the ownership interests aggregate. So it's a bit more complicated, and people aren't used to doing this kind of attribution in the in the general kind of corporate sense. The second group of people that are reported are people who have substantial control over the entity. And that's a fairly big group. And some of the things may be surprising to people. Uh, if you're a director, you, have substantial, you may have substantial control. If you're an officer, you're definitely going to have substantial control. If you have ownership interests that have certain restrictions on what the company can do, many of which are in, for example, typical venture financing, you may also be considered a, a person with substantial control over the entity. So it's a fairly broad group of, of, of people that are going to be potential uh, reportable parties and recognize that all of them, you have to collect all that information for. Um, you know, taking a quick step back, we started the conversation saying all companies are, you know, have to report, but we didn't really discuss some of the exemptions that exist exactly uh, to that reporting. So um, the main exemption, I think, for uh, from the reporting obligation is the one that the FinCEN is calling the large operating company. And I'm gonna help explain a little bit what a large operating company is. A large operating company is, is a company that has more than 20 full-time employees in the United States. And again, and this is where we'll start seeing some of the international overtones. For example, as a, a legal counsel to a number of uh, foreign companies, many of my clients have 300 employees as outside of the United States. So they may be a very large entity, but if they only have five or six or even 19 full-time employees in the US, they are not exempt. So that's the first prong is you have to have 20 full-time employees in the US and you meet the first requirement. You also have to have a previous uh, year income tax return of more than $5 million in gross sales, uh, receipts or sales. And uh, this includes the gross receipts or sales of entities owned by the entity that it's looking to report or not. So it would include technically your subsidiaries. And the third prong is that the company has, you have to have operating presence at a physical office within the United States. And that little prong is, is, is explained in the proposed regulations as a physical office that is owned or leased by the reporting company and it's not a residence and it's not a share space. In other words, quoting, a genuine working office of the entity. Again, so a large operating company has three requirements, more than 20 full-time employees in the US, a previous uh, income tax return of, uh, in the previous year of 5 million gross receipts or sales that includes your subsidiaries if you need to add them, and three, a physical office in the US. So if you meet those three requirements, you're not a reporting company, you're an exempt company. One clarification about the employees, they have to be W-2 employees. Right. They cannot be 1099, quote unquote, employees or independent contractors. Right. And it's 20 full-time, which means 30 hours or more a week of, right. of services. So one other clarification, again, remember, not a once and done. If you are a foreign reporting company and you have more than 20 full-time employees, a physical presence, and more than $5 million of revenue in the last year, as Gabriella points out, you're exempt. But if next year you have a RIF 
and you go down to 15 employees, you no longer qualify for the exemption. And you have a very short period of time in which to now update your reporting obligation to, to now be a reporting company. Several other um, exemptions that are out there. One is if you're a public company. So if, you're, if, you're, if you go private, however, this will now be triggered. And so they would now have a beneficial ownership potential reporting requirement unless they fall under the large operating company. Others are certain financial institutions. And the reason why these are exempt is because they're generally reporting a lot of this information already. Registered investment companies, investment advisors, pooled investment vehicles, et cetera, that are regulated and have filed reports regularly with the SEC. Again, they know who kind of some of these people are. And then certain other regulated companies, such as insurance companies, public accounting firms, public utilities, and tax-exempt entities. Notice I didn't say lawyers. So if you're in a law firm, it's interesting. You may be required to file this report. They, there's not a, a, a basic exemption for law firms. Surprised that all the lawyers that have commented haven't said it's, it's time to do that. And the last one, and what's an inactive entity. So if you've got an entity out there that's been in existence before January 1, 2020, and doesn't do any business, not owned by a foreign person, hasn't had a change of ownership in the last 12 months, and really hasn't gotten any money or hold any assets, you're not required to file it. So if you've got a bunch of shelf entities that are just laying around out there owned by U.S. Uh, people, you may not have to file it. But as soon as it stops being inactive, you would have to file the report. This is an obligation that rests on the reporting company. So think about this for a second. So we'd mentioned that there were a bunch of people who are, quote, beneficial owners. And I talked about people who own more than 25%. Also people who have substantial control. So for example, those include a senior officer, people who have authority over the appointment or removal of any senior officer, and or direction or substantial influence over important matters affecting the company. So as, if you're a company and you have a board of directors, you're very likely going to have to consider whether you have to report all of your directors as beneficial owners of the company. Now, you're going to have to get a lot of personal information from that director to put in the report. So if you're a, a business owner and you decide, well, you know what, I'm just not going to file. This is too much red tape. What are the penalties under the CTA? So under the proposed rules, it's $500 for each day that the violation continues. So if you're 10 days late, it's going to be $5,000. If you're 100 days late, it's $50,000. And the, there's a thing that says you may not be fined more than $10,000, nor imprisoned no more than two years or both. So, you know, I don't want to spend two years in a federal penitentiary for failure to, to, to do this. I suspect it's going to be the most egregious. Also, one other thing I want to point out, we talked about the grandfather. So there is in the current proposed rules, a period of time for existing entities to get into compliance under the proposed rules. Right now, it's one year from the effective date of the rules. However, given the current situation with the United States government imposing additional obligations on Russian oligarchs, et cetera, there may be a shortening of that period of time. We don't know. So you cannot take comfort in that the proposed rules say one year. And, um, you know, for me, I, I really see the CTA and its regulations as a game changer, uh, a game changer in the realm of corporate law. 
where for the first time, at least as far as I know, you have the federal government stepping in and, and kind of reaching in and trying to get information that the states are not currently obtaining, or at least not all states. Then I see it as a change in the actual process of formation. Like I mentioned earlier, my process to form a new company is going to be a lot different than it was a year ago. And lastly, and, and, and kind of related to this, this point I just made is, I think it, it might impact, and I, I mean, the ethical, from a legal counsel, ethical rules, you know, um, because technically you could form an entity and say, hey, you need to go to FinCEN now and you need to, you know, find out what you need to do. And you could say, well, I'm not doing it for you. You're doing it. And, that, and that's probably, you could, we could probably do that. The client might want to do the report themselves. But I think now we, as lawyers, have a duty to ask certain questions because, you know, there's, I'm not aware of, uh, you know, the, the ethical rules say you're not gonna, you know, uh, perpetuate a crime, you're not gonna do certain things. And I don't have a reason to believe there's a crime happening, but there's a law now that is interested in who's doing what. So I think there's a very implicit obligation to conduct a very strong due diligence interview of our potential clients, especially the foreign clients, to understand what it is that they're doing, why they're doing it, who they're doing it with. Um, and at least that's my personal take on, on how I will be looking at some potential formations. Where are you coming from? Um, why is, what, what's your part in company? Uh, I would probably be more, I feel better if I'm talking to, talking to maybe a local council from whatever country who's looking for help versus some random CEO who found me online. So it, it changes the practice of corporate formation for sure. And the ethical obligations of lawyers in the process of forming these entities. This is a game changer, uh, as Gabriella said. So uh, I always like to end the podcast with uh, what is the one thing you want people to take away? Mark, I'll start with you and then I'll ask Gabriella. I think this is something that you need to pay attention to and start gathering the information that's going to be necessary. The, these rules will be passed, may not be in their current form, but they will be passed because the act was passed last year. So therefore I would start gathering the information on your current beneficial owners, both those people with substantial control and those people with at least you know 25% or greater ownership in the entity. And also look at, your investor paperwork. So if you've got a cap table and you've got investors with certain rights to start looking at those, gather those into one place so you know what those are. I would start educating your board, senior management and others about this obligation that's coming so that there's not a surprise when it is when it does happen and you start asking them for information they're not you know giving you a hard time about giving the information that's necessary in order to do this and lastly i'd build i'd start building the processes in place to make sure that you monitor any changes to that information if you're a reporting company even if you're not if you're exempt you need to do it as well because an exemption can change you can lose the exemption and you'll need to you know have a very short period of time in which to report that information once you lose your exemption gabriella right so i would say um the cta is i think it can be an overwhelming task uh, for companies of certain sizes. Um, and actually, I, I would just 
you know, our firm made a quick eight easy steps to comply with a CTA. And so if you heard this podcast and maybe want to learn a little bit more, you want to, you know, hear the simplified version, um, you can go to our firm, clemchuck.com, and you click on ID8. And we have uh, one of our blog posts is the ADC steps for compliance with a CTA. And we break it down for you. We tell you uh, step number one, do this, step number two. And, and I think that will be helpful. We only, we only had a few minutes, but I mean, it, it's a fun statute. Uh, Mark and I had a lot of fun reading it, um, taking it apart, understanding the requirements. So it can be uh, complex. It should be on your radar. But if you want it simplified in a nutshell, just check that article and I think you'll enjoy it. Mark and Gabriela, I really thank you for spending some time. Uh, again, if you want to learn more, please reach out to Mark or Gabriela. Thank you again. Thank you for being on the podcast and we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. The views presented by the host and the guests on the ILS podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the International Law Section or the State Bar of Texas. This podcast is not intended as legal advice and is only for educational purposes. This has been the ILS podcast, Music, Wonder, or Take Two by Admiral Bob, copyright 2020, licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license, available at http colon backslash backslash dig.ccmixter.org backslash files backslash Admiral Bob 77 backslash 62202 FT colon sacjoe 22.